Hey everybody, this is Bob from Street Photography Magazine. I just wanted to pop in before today's show to let you know that our guest today, Brian Lloyd Duckett, is also our featured photographer in the March 2023 issue of Street Photography Magazine. On Sunday, March 5th, we will be publishing the in-depth article all about Mark with samples of his brilliant and often funny street photography. So if you're a Street Photography Magazine subscriber, be sure not to miss it. And now, on with the show. And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine, and I'm joined today with Ashley Rifo, our editor, and first time she's been on the podcast in a little while. So, Ashley, yeah, what's, yeah, what's new with you? How you uh, been? Not too much. I have a cold. That's what's new. You have the, a cold. the first sickness after after how many years of pandemic? <laughs> uh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> you know, you get back out in the world. <laughs> well, well, as soon as we get you done, you cold. you can go out in that Florida sun, just lay down, catch some rays. That's right. Cold to go away. I'll be fine by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, do we have to? You have a baby. You don't have a choice. So, <laughs> our guest this week is also our featured photographer for the month of March, and it's Brian Lloyd Duckett. Uh, he's in the UK. Brian is oh, he's a photographer. He's a professional photographer. He is a, a big time trainer in the street photography world. He's the uh, his website is Street Snappers. He's got a YouTube channel that is just full of really good information. And uh, Brian, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I've been listening to the show for for quite a long time, and uh, I was uh, overjoyed when he contacted me and said, "Please come on." So yeah, great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you could. We've had I I can't even remember how many people uh, we who we've interviewed have recommended that we talk to you, mainly because they took your, one of your workshops. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I do get around a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, no, uh, I, I, I enjoyed the show. I just, the one I particularly enjoyed, which I thought was uh, really interesting, was the one with uh, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Matt Jerums. Yes, yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear somebody else who uh who shoots in london and i don't know matt but i'm like i'll i'll seek him out and i'll we'll have a beer one day hopefully. you should i've connected him with a number of people a friend of mine from here in virginia travels a lot and he was in london and i and looked matt up they got together and went out and <laughs> shot on the street yeah. so bob is the guy. street photography matchmaker I yeah. Am. Well, yeah. You know, and Matt is a Cleveland Browns fan. He lived in Ohio for many Not years, rural, rural Ohio of all places, and he's not too far from Cleveland. That's where I'm from, sort of originally. Anyway, okay. so you have to become a Browns fan to okay get anything from me, but no, to I'm get kidding. on this podcast. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wait a minute. No, no, just I feel kidding. privileged then in that case as an outsider. <laughs> Uh, you're you're welcome here anytime. So, Brian, tell us how'd you get into photography? What uh, 
you know, I know you're a commercial photographer. Yeah. But so how'd you get into photography and how, how did that work its way? How did street photography work its way into your life? Well, I guess it all started at school and uh, on my, I used to walk to school and on my way, uh, the, on my typical walking route, there was a camera shop. It was an old traditional camera shop. And this was when I was about 13. And I used to look in the window and look at these things in the window. And I didn't really know what they were. But there's one thing that really got my attention, and it was a Zorky 4. Do you remember those? The no. old kind of Russian Leica copy. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, old sort of big chunk of metal, like a rangefinder camera. And I looked at it, and I thought, oh, I love that. I've got to have, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. So I went into the shop and said to the guy, look, I, I really want this camera, uh, but I haven't got the money. C can I pay you over a period of time? He said, well, not really, but I'll tell you what, if, if you really want it, I'll take it off the shelf and put it in the back for you. And you can come in and pay me some money every week. And then when you've paid everything, you can have the camera. Oh. I went home and said to my dad, what do you think of this? He said, well, yeah, it's a great idea, but you need to get a job. <laughs> so I got a job working in a, a petrol station, uh, operating the petrol pumps. You know, this is the age of 13. Wow. Just so that I could buy this camera. Wow. Child labor. Oh, labor. Yeah, exactly. Exploitation, in fact. And uh, I, you know, I bought this camera and uh, I thought I was the, the coolest kid at school then. I had this camera around my neck and you know, I thought I was David Bailey. And I thought, if there's one thing that's going to make me more attractive to girls, it's walking around with a camera around my neck. Yeah. It might pan out like that, but that was the expectation. <laughs> and I just got hooked on photography. You know, self-taught. I was lucky because I had a, a really inspirational art teacher who loved photography and he really encouraged me. And I think without that, I, I don't know what would have happened. And the school had a dark room, uh, which was, which is great. And I worked it out that I could use the dark room instead of playing football at school because mm -hmm. I like lots of sport like tennis and cricket and rugby, but I hate football. And I thought I could, I could just time it so that I could have some darkroom time instead of playing football. So that was a double win. Huh. So I, I, I just got really hooked. You know, what did you take pictures of when you were a kid? I just things, relatives. You know, I, I did portraits, things on the streets, my, my friends having fun, uh, just anything, anything and everything. Landscapes, cars, just whatever I could, whatever I could find. And uh, I guess the, the, the next thing that happened was that a friend of my dad's uh, worked for a newspaper. He was a press photographer and he was around at our house one day and he'd just come off shift and he had a Roloflex. And I was looking at this Roloflex and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's the next. I've got to have one of those. <laughs> and at this point, I was about, uh, I was about 15, I think. And this guy said, look, I'll tell you what, if you, if you, know, if you like the sound of all this, come and do some work experience on the newspaper and you, know, you won't get paid, but you know, we'll, we'll teach you. So in the school holidays, I went to the newspaper. I learned how to use the cameras properly. I learned how to use a dark room properly. And I had some pictures published in the paper. And my first ever picture, which I will always remember was a picture of a dead dog in a litter bin. And you know, this, this made the news. This was, this is big news in our town. So I just kind of got hooked. Uh, and I, 
I really wanted to be a press photographer from a very early age. And yeah, I, I flirted with it for a while and got a couple of jobs here and there. But eventually my parents kind of bribed me and said, look, you know, you've got to get a proper job one day. You've got to go to university. So I did. And my life changed. Uh, and I did sort of serious work for a while. I ended up in corporate PR. Mm. Uh, but my heart was never in it. You know, I, I just always... I, I didn't like wearing a suit every day and being serious. I just wanted to be creative and take pictures. So I, about, uh, oh, I guess it's 20, about 20, odd, 20 plus years ago now, I just gave, gave up the real world and said, right, I'm going to become a photographer again. Wow. And I did. I just did it over, overnight. My wife thought I was nuts. Uh, probably wasn't very happy about it. I was going to say, you got a good wife. Yeah. I got a good wife. I've got a very good wife, very supportive. Wife. Uh, I've got to she say doesn't... that she, in case she listens to this. Uh, no, I, I have. I seriously have. <laughs> so I started getting shifts with some of the agencies uh, and doing press work again. But at that point, I'd had a, I, I got a lot of contacts. You know, working in quite a, a, a sort of high level in a big PR agency, you get lots of contacts across the media sure. all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I just started leveraging those and doing sort of editorial shoots for commercial clients, really. Mm-hmm. So doing the job of a press photographer, but getting paid more for it. Yeah. Uh, but w- what I found that as I was walking, walking around the streets of London, draped in cameras, you know, you're doing a lot of work. And I just... no girls. They're not going to do it. Football. Yeah. 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 But you, you just see life, don't you? And you know, I was walking around yeah. and observing life. And just starting to take pictures of things that I thought were interesting or funny. You know, I've always been attracted to the funny, quirky kind of street photography. And you just start seeing stuff. And when I started doing that, I probably didn't recognize at the time that what I was doing was street photography. Mm-hmm. And then it just hit me like a bolt from the blue. This is, this is what I enjoyed, really enjoyed doing. I think I'm probably okay at it. I really enjoyed doing it. And it just started to take over and I'm doing more and more. And then I thought, some, somebody said, you know, you, you, you're, you're a good teacher. You're good at getting ideas across. You ought to teach mm. this. So I did. And you know, I've been doing these workshops now for about eight years. Uh, so that's a snapshot of, of how it all started. Sorry, it's a very long answer to a very no, short No, that's question. fine. That's fine. And it's uh, definitely good to know. So are you still doing yeah. the commercial work? Yeah, I am. Uh, not not a great deal. I think it's probably about twenty percent of my working life. You know, I've got some very good, uh, high profile clients, and I do some good stuff, re- uh, photography for annual reports, mm-hmm. uh, ad campaigns, that sort of stuff. So you know, it pays well. It's good stuff. It's nice work. It doesn't excite me massively, but yeah. you know, that, that's life, isn't it? You've you've got to pay the bills. Uh, but the, the street photography world has just sort of gripped me, really. <laughs> so when you do a commercial shoot, do you, like, get everything in the can that you know you have to get and then please yourself with the rest of your time, maybe try something different, or it just doesn't work that way in that world? Exactly, exactly that, Bob. I wish all clients were like you uh, because I spend half my – time trying to persuade clients so he said let's do something a bit different let's do something a bit quirky 
let's do something that will make people smile, that will really engage people. Yeah. Something different, something nobody else is doing. And a few of them get it and understand it. But I think the corporate world is just so safe now that people are reluctant to take a chance on anything they don't know or don't understand or haven't seen before. So it's a hard sell, but I do try to do it. Yeah, especially with your your street work is so funny. Mm-hmm. You, you're right. I mean, it is very quirky. No, I mean, not everything, but I mean, it's. Uh, I think it's extremely entertaining and yeah. interesting. So, the stuffy yeah. old English businessmen. That's what it is. They're, yeah, it would be, be really nice to bring a bit of bit of levity to the corporate world. I think I'll, yeah, I'll get there. I'll, I'll keep campaigning and trying and try, you know, trying to change minds. And I, I think it'll happen eventually, but it, it is going to take time. Maybe I should do it in the States. Maybe you guys would be more receptive to it. I think it's a possibility. I feel like uh, businesses in general are turning to a more relatable approach yeah. to get customers, at least here. Yeah, like progressive insurance, like the whole <laughs> flow series and all that. Yeah. You're probably not familiar with it because you don't watch our TV. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but I, I, I get your drift, I think. It's funny. It's quirky, entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I happen to see this, this would be of interest to both Ashley and myself that you're, you're a Fuji X photographer. Uh, well, I was. Oh, you were? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Enough with that. News. I'm I'm an ex-ex photographer. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been a uh, an ambassador for almost four years. Yeah. And uh, Fujifilm, uh, in in their wisdom, decided that uh, as of January the first, all the UK ambassadors were leaving. So uh, really, just me, that, you know, there's there's a guy, uh, you know, great wedding photographer Kevin Mullins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ten years. And, several uh, uh yeah. yeah some 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 big names and uh yeah we were all uh we all didn't get our contracts renewed on on january the 1st and uh, I, d- I don't know what direction fujifilm is going in with all this to be honest but you know their choice i understand you know they've they've got to move on and do different stuff they can't rely on the past so yeah i we 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 left on good terms, and I wish them the best, and I still use the gear. So we'll see what happens. Watch this space. Wow. Yeah. You're now a Sony photographer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, a lot of people ask me this. You know, People assume that, oh, you'll, you'll be knocking on Nikon's door now, or you'll be a Sony ambassador or Leica, but yeah. I'm not really interested. You know, having done it for four years or so it, it was great it was really helpful and it was great but i have no burning ideas to knock on doors and try and do something else you know, if somebody knocks on my door then i'd consider it but you know I, I, I don't feel the need to to be honest really uh and at the moment it's quite nice having the freedom to use all sorts of different kinds of gear yeah. because i couldn't do that before you know i was really limited to restricted to using fujifilm kit and, and good though it is yeah. It would have been nice just to be able to try something different. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't blame you. Well, you are free now. So they um, did they do this around the world or just in the UK or in Europe? It, it, 
it would seem just in the UK, because looking at their website and looking at the other, mm -hmm. they list the ambassadors for every country in the world. Yeah. And there don't seem to be any significant changes around the world. So I think for some reason, it is just the UK. Wow, that's really funny. I know they changed the program. There used to be Fuji X photographers, and that was it. And then they came up with all these new, at least in the U.S., new categories or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a U.S.-specific thing. I don't uh -oh. think they've, they've done that in the U.K., or maybe they haven't done it yet in the U.K. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So well, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. Well, they we're not happen. talking about them now. I to... No, no. No, they're, they're history. <laughs> We're done. We're going to talk about Leica. Yeah. I've got a Leica. Yeah. Pardon? I, I've got a. I love Leicas. Yeah, I mean, I've got two of them right now. Ooh. But, yeah. Uh, we've, I I started using Fuji when the X100 came out, and probably eighty percent of my photos were made with X100s for right. well, up until a couple of years ago. Yeah, and, a great uh, camera. I mean, it's, it's a world beast. A big success story for them, yeah, and, and rightly so. Uh, but I think once you get a Leica in your hand, things feel quite different, don't they? There's something about it. Yes, they do. I uh, and uh, I just I just did a shoot yesterday, and I, I have I have the monochrome Q2 monochrome, hmm. and I thought, well, um, I also have the old original Q as well. And I thought, well, I should take my X Pro two for color. But I, I took my, I took my, my uh, Q instead. Mm. Long story. I want. I actually wanted to see, you know, shoot the 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 uh, native monochrome, and then the exact same scene with the uh, with the Q, and then convert the the Q color image to to monochrome, and see, do I really need? This monochrome camera, you know, and uh, so that's why I took it. But uh, should have taken yeah. the X Pro. I don't know. I, I don't want to take up everybody's time with this, but you know I think they're great. Is. I mean, I, you know, I think they're great cameras. I, I never get too hung up about gear, really. And uh, but I think it's yeah. You know, I'd liken Leicas to it's like driving a classic car. Yeah, you know, it, gets you, it gets you from A to B in the same way that a brand new Mercedes Benz does, but the journey is so different. Yeah, it the is. The journey is more enjoyable, I have to it's, say. It is. It, it's so much simpler. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $3.75 per month with a one-year subscription, per month with a one-year subscription. And you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. You did a, a really nice, um, really nice video on your YouTube channel about uh, settings, camera oh, yeah. settings. Yeah. And with the Fuji, you know, there, it's got so much capability. I've 
I, I was always fiddling with it, you know, oh, I'm going to try this, you know, this, uh, uh, what do you call it, formula or whatever they call oh, it. Oh, the know? film simulations. Yeah, film, yeah the film mm -hmm. simulation, and you can tweak them. And I'm, I was always messing around with those things instead of really worrying about the shot. And what the Leica is just so simple. And That's it. Yeah. And I, I think for street photography, this is, the, this is one of the problems with a lot of modern cameras now, that they're too complicated and they give us too much. Yeah. And they take your eye off the ball. Yeah, all your attention should be going into what's happening in front of you, not faffing around looking at the screen and changing menu settings and, you know, all the hundreds of options you have in those menus. We don't really need it. I just want to press the button and forget everything else. Yeah, that's what I liked about your video. I mean, you just, you make it so simple. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Set it up this way or whatever works for you and use it. Yeah, set it and forget it. Yeah. Although You guys you have made me think that maybe this could be a lot. It seems like a lot of Fuji photographers end up going to Leica, but uh, perhaps the people who are drawn to Fuji are already those who are drawn to a simpler format. I feel like Fuji is a little less complex as far as menu options. I mean, there's still plenty you can do with it, but if you want to just use your little dials, you can and be done with it. Yeah, I think you're right, Ashley. And I think there is something, there is still something organic about using the, the Fujifilm cameras. And you've got all the dials on top, you know, all the physical yeah. dials. I know. You can see them and twist them. And you haven't got to go into menus to do some of the key right. stuff, which is great, which is what I've always liked about them. And, you know, I still use Fuji and I probably always will. And that's why, really, because they are so uh, easy to operate and intuitive and yeah, they just feel like an old camera. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they are. I think, uh, especially the the X Pro Two. I think it's really sexy looking. Yeah, I gotta say. Right. I mean, you know, for a piece of metal. I mean, the yeah. Although I've got to say, in your video, you really emphasize um, zone focus, with I, which I agree with. But I have a hard time keeping the Fuji in focus. I maybe I'm always bumping the ring or something. Yeah, what, what you need is a piece of black gaffer tape to yeah. tape down that ring. That's really? what I do. I should just yeah. do that. Yeah, just tape it down at nine feet and forget about it. That's yeah. all you need. Gaffer because tape. it's very loose. It's not, you know, it's not sort of heavily damped, yeah. like, uh, say, a Leica lens. Yeah. So it's quite loose, and it's a sort of uh, focused by wire rather than the kind of mechanical. It is. <laughs> it is. The mechanical uh, is so much better for zone focus i think yeah i think so yeah so yeah get get invest in a, a roll of gaffer tape and there's, oh, there's I've just got one it's probably 15 years old i still have it so i'll take a, <laughs> i'll take about a little piece like that and yeah. that's why it's lasting it. 15 years yeah. <laughs> that's right we'll get the tape yeah yeah so actually you're gonna you're gonna sell your xt3 now no <laughs> i'm just gonna take the advice everyone says if you don't want to spend a bundle you know just don't try it don't try to like it just <laughs> don't touch it, it. <laughs> and you will no, be satisfied is... with what you have <laughs> yeah everybody is so uh gear focused but you know that that new camera if you buy an xt5 it's not going to make you a better photographer no your pictures are not going to look any better Although, yeah, arguably, they <laughs> might do in low light or the videos might, you know, you, you'll have more facilities. Yeah. But nobody's going to notice, really. Your no. XT3 no. could use that for years and still do everything you need to do with it. 
This yeah. is what I tell my husband always because he's, yeah. you know, he's the techie guy and the one who's always looking at everything that new that comes out and says, oh my gosh, we need this. Look at what they put <laughs> on this. <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah. the other day, I was like, he was thinking about getting, you know, what backup camera does he need? He does weddings occasionally and buying another body. And he's like, well, I, I like this body, but it's already this many years old. And, and uh-huh. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like if you're getting the pictures you want with, with that same body now, the cameras they make nowadays last for a very long time. You can get a good five, 10 years out of it easily. Yeah, exactly. It's not really the gear, you know, what it's your vision as a photographer of what people are paying for. Yeah, it is. And I, I think in street photography, that's even more the case. Yeah. And, you know, I always say to people, if they're thinking about spending a load of gear on a new camera, I say, don't, you know, spend your money on travel, spend it on books. Mm. Workshops. Workshops. Education. Exactly. <laughs> Take you know, a day off work and, and walk on the streets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need that money now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of travel, when we first connected, you were in Lisbon. Oh, yes. Yeah. A workshop. And I, and I had just been there. Oh. So I was there probably a few weeks before you were. I'm sorry I missed you. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved it. We went to Porto too, and went to the Duro Valley. I just, uh, I didn't realize I'd, I'd like it as much as I did. I'm ready to go back. Mm. Except on a rainy day, those streets are really slippery. Yeah, the sidewalks. It rains so infrequently. That's in true. But it's not a problem. But when it does rain, it's a big problem. Yeah. I've got friends who live there, and one was telling me uh, a couple of months ago that when it rains, Everything stops. It's like like a kind of major snowstorm because people can't get to work. You know, most people live up the, in the hill on a, yeah. on a hill somewhere, and because they have those little shiny tiles, the the pavements are just like skating rinks. It is. It's treacherous. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you can't get about. So you know, hospital appointments get cancelled. People don't go to work. Life wow. stops. But it doesn't happen very often, fortunately. I have a but question about about um like i was looking at your different projects on your website and i found it very interesting i felt like each project had its own personality style wise in oh. in the photographs and i found that interesting because usually it's uh like the photographer style is one and you see it in every project but i felt like you were really able to capture the personality of each city and each project felt different oh Thank Why you. do you think that is? Or have you noticed that or <laughs> ever thought about I, that? I, it's, it's, it's a big question, actually. And I, I'm not sure I know the answer. I, I, I'm not sure that I have uh, a style, as in you could say that Robert Frank had a style or uh, William Klein had a style or Moriyama. You know, I, I don't think I have a style like that. And my style is very uh, adaptable or adaptive. Mm. So I will do different projects to suit different places or events or times. Uh, so I'm, I'm part way through one, uh, which is based in Venice, mm-hmm. uh, called La Senza, which means the essence. So it's a, the essence of Venice. And it's very dark and moody and uh, misty, foggy, mysterious, uh, full of intrigue. Now, that wouldn't work anywhere else. That wouldn't work in London or in Barcelona. 
but in Venice it just works. So I try to sort of get into the the the, the spirit of the place, if you like. Mm. So f- for Lisbon, going back to Lisbon, I'm I've got a, a sort of enduring project in Lisbon, which mm. is all about I'm looking for traces of the old Lisbon. I love the nostalgic things in Lisbon. I don't know if mm. you came across these, Bob, when you were there, but you, there's a lot of old stuff and it's just so stylish and it's like mm. going back 75 years. So I'm trying to incorporate that sort of iconography into my, into my project, which is, is quite a challenge and quite interesting. Huh. But I think getting Are the these... essence of the place is, is really important. Yeah. Are these the photos you're talking about in your, on your website that are Viva Lisboa, or is this a different project? Uh, no, this is, this, is a sim- this is the same project, but it's <laughs> you just remind me my website needs updating. It's sort of, <laughs> don't they always they all do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the the original thinking for it but it's it's moved on a bit since then uh and i'm going back next month to do some more and uh i think i've got three or maybe four visits to venice this year so i may oh. need to have that completed by by the end of this year but project is a big thing for me you know whatever it is yeah. that's what drives me without projects i'd be if floundering, I think, and I try to get this across to my students, you know, if, if you're going to be good at this, you really need to be taking on a number of projects at, at any one time. How do you choose a project? Well, it could, uh, I could be looking through my archive, looking through old work, and I, you know, I might see a pattern of pictures, similar pictures, you see a trend mm-hmm. developing, and you think, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I can do something with that. Or uh, I might just take one picture and think that was fun. I can, I can do, I want to do something on that. So a, a good example of that is uh, about three years ago in London, outside the Houses of Parliament, there was an old lady protesting and she must have been 85 and it was pouring with rain and she had a plastic coat on and a big hat and she looked miserable. And she was, a sol- she was a lone protester. She wasn't part of a demo or a protest. She was standing there on her own. And she was holding up a sign that said, stop the war in Syria, you vicious bastards. Now, this is a sweet old lady, about 85, <laughs> who you know, had this very strident take on the war uh, in Syria. And it just gave me the idea for a project. And I thought, yeah, I can do something about people who, yeah, the Brits, protest in quite a polite way usually Uh you know quite a sort of benign nice polite way so i'm doing this thing about polite protesters so i'm looking for soul (laughs) going back to your question you know one picture sometimes gives me the the spark for a a project i would Uh, love to see a series on polite protesters yeah we don't have those here no (laughs) no we need at least one yeah (laughs) Well, I'm thinking that you know, this thinking about projects. I'm, I'm working on nine projects currently, but there's always space. Nine, for me. wow! Uh, and I think so. You should... say no limit to projects; just as many projects as you want, but keep them going. Yeah, because what what you find is as you as you're walking around the streets. You know, I go out to tomorrow for to do a day's street shooting. If I've got a couple of projects in mind, maybe one, two, three, maybe more. Nine. I now know what I'm looking for. I, I'm kind of focused and tuned in. Yeah, and it's yeah. Not random. 
you know, one of the big problems with street photography is people expect to hit the streets and see a load of great stuff, a load of interesting mm-hmm. stuff. You know, they've just read a book by Joel Myrowitz and <laughs> you look at that book, you think, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a, a lifetime's work. And yeah. to get those kind of shots, we've got to get lucky. Mm-hmm. We don't. Now that makes a lot of sense. If you only have one project going, it's going to take you a long time to get a body of work. Yeah. Or even no project. You know, I know so many people who shoot, don't shoot a project and they just go out hoping to find stuff. And they do. And they have great fun. And that's fine. But I just know that they will be more productive and more fulfilled. And I guess more motivated to get out, to get out of bed and do it again tomorrow if they were working on projects. Mm-hmm. So I try to get everyone engaged with projects and it's just great to watch a project develop and, you know, see people with the initial idea and take it from concept to, you know, 12 months later, a zine or a book or something. Mm-hmm. So when you're out on the street and you got nine projects going and then you happen to see a protester, you think, okay, this person's perfect for my, my protest project. Exactly. And then Something later, a trigger in, yeah. in my mind that says, yeah, that's it. There's a shot there for me. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it just kind of works. It's, yeah, it's great. Look... Oh, go ahead, Ashley. Go ahead. No, that was it. That makes sense. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then later you may see something else that's part of project number two or whatever. Exactly. You grab that. And, you know, that sometimes you, you walk around and you don't see anything connected with projects, but you mm-hmm. see something that is still a great shot. Mm-hmm. And you get it. You still get that. But sure. that's the bonus. Yeah, we get, mm-hmm. the, we get these lucky serendipitous shots, but I see that as the bonus rather than the, the, the reason to go out shooting. So I try to be focused on, on projects. Does it matter if, if a project isn't even street photography related? Not necessarily, Bob. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, I'd say a number of my projects are, uh, they occupy that space that it's where street and documentary meet. Yeah. And I think that's quite a nice space. It really yes. interests. So it really is documentary photography, but with a street feel, mm-hmm. you know, with a bit of humor or a great sense of the moment or whatever it is. And I, 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 think, that, I think this is great. So a lot of what I'm doing now is is based on that. So projects can get you out and motivated and improving. Obviously, you put a lot of stock in workshops too. How do you think workshops help a street photographer to progress um, with their craft? I think I, I think a, a good workshop has to pull no punches, and you know, I think people need to understand what good street photography is. And also that they can do good street photography. And I think that there are, there are loads of myths, as you'll know, for street photography from people who have not really done it before. So people might think that uh, it's quite, a, it's quite a, an intrusive, aggressive form of photography and you're likely to get hit or stoned or stabbed <laughs> or whatever. You have to manage those expectations and bring that down to reality. But I think a lot of people just think that street photography is any old picture taken on a street. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a guy coming out of a shop with a shopping bag and, oh, it's street photography. He's on the street. I'll take that. It's street photography. Yeah. But it's just not very interesting, is it? Mm-hmm. 
know, somebody crossing the road with a dog. It's just not interesting. And then they make it black and white to make it look more. <laughs> it looks like a boring black and white picture. And add a little bit of grain. A little bit of grain, yeah, a bit of grain. Oh, you can't, yeah, t- let's whack up that clarity slider a bit. That'll make it look like street. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, part of my job is uh, sort of helping people understand that there, there, there really has to be some, there has to be something interesting in the frame. There has to be a moment or a strong story or a really strong aesthetic. And, you know, I, I've, I guess I've got quite strong views on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I don't mind expressing them. You know, pe- people are coming, people are paying to hear my my uh, expertise or my wisdom. So I've I've got to be true to myself. You know, I I don't see street photography mm-hmm. as a picture of uh, a little silhouette walking past a big modern building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this sort of stuff has very limited shelf life, and these pictures are not going to be remembered tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, we had one photographer that spoke about that and said they're they're repeatable. They're repeatable, but a, a real moment is something that's not going to happen again. Exactly, that's that's a really good way to express it. Yeah, they 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 are repeatable, and you know if if I run workshops that focused on that kind of street photography, I could take people to the same spot every week and say, right, we're going to get this picture now. Yeah. And it's like a landscape picture. Everybody gets the same picture. Yeah. And then take that They're not home. Really thinking. Yeah. There's no original thinking. There's no creativity. They're just doing what I'm telling them to do. Mm-hmm. They're not going to learn anything by doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, it's like being on a tour in Lisbon or wherever else. And the tour guide goes up the hill. Okay, get out of the car. Go take a picture of that. Your, your friends are going to love it. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. You, yeah, you... It is the same. And... You know, I, I know some people will say this is see this is quite a controversial view, mm-hmm. but you know, I remember somebody told me a long time ago that when you're looking at this, you've really got to be true to yourself and mm-hmm. do what you think is right, uh, and that's that's what I do. You know, I, I believe in in my approach. I believe in what I do. I enjoy it. it seems to work. Uh, that's a lot more challenging, though. How do you take? people out on the street where you don't know what's going to happen and teach them to see a real moment. I guess what I'm, what I'm doing Ashley is teaching them or helping them develop their uh, powers of observation and seeing stuff that normal people don't see. And I think we as street photographers at any level, we have kind of special powers and we see stuff that normal people just don't see. So we're really tuned in to details. So I get them thinking about detail. And that that thing that's in that litter bin over there, why is it there? Why somebody put that there? Uh, why is you know, that got, dead dog in the litter bin? Why is that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, it made you it, yeah. sort of things. That they just ask questions. You know, why, why? Why is that there? Why is that guy standing there? What a stupid place to stand. Is it, or that person that really odd position? Why? Why? So it's just getting people to be so tuned into their environment that they're thinking about everything they're picking up on all the detail so you teach them to be more of an observant person in general and then they see the moments on their own basically yeah and you see these skills develop you know people who come on workshops and then come on more workshops and i you know I, i watch them over a period of years 
And you can see their observational skills developing and they're starting to see more stuff and they're pushing the boundaries a bit and producing more interesting material. It's great. Yeah, we can all learn. Observation is a skill we can all learn. Uh, but it's kind actually... of like a core skill for street photography, I would say. Yeah, it's it's an essential skill for street photography. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, it's something I think I've all, I, maybe I'm lucky, but I think I've always been a good observer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you, you know, if you can recognize humor, I think that will stand you in good stead as a street photographer. You know, if, if I'm, I don't know if I have, but if you have got a good sense of humor, then I think it helps you because you'll see the funny side of things that other people won't see that aren't funny to a lot of people. Mm. But the street <laughs> photographer's humor, you know, some, I think sometimes we just get it. Yeah. So you, you work with a lot of people uh, at different experience levels. And mm. I just wonder, what, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when they first come to you? Oh gosh, that's an interesting question. Let me think about that for a moment. So I, I, I see, uh, I see a lot of mistakes. I, I run about uh, between seventy and eighty workshops a year, so I wow. see a lot of people. I yeah. see a lot of people. Uh, one of the big mistakes is expecting too much from a day shoot, mm-hmm. and uh, I see this a lot. And you know, somebody will come to me and say, "Well, I went out yesterday, and you know, I spent thirteen hours on the streets and." didn't see anything. There was nothing happening. Well, yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Sometimes. You know, we can, I can go for weeks without getting a great shot and that's how it is. So I think having really high expectations is, is a mistake people make. Uh, I think another mistake is uh, going too heavy on post-production. And this is a personal view. I know some people like to do a lot of post-production I, I have quite a minimalist view because I, for me, street photography is about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And this is what I try and teach. You know, I don't want somebody to take a picture, then take it home and spend an hour and a half on one image in Photoshop or Lightroom, taking it way beyond it, the authenticity of that scene that they shot in the street. So I think uh, over post-production is, uh, is, is a, a big mistake. Uh, I think shooting with a lens that's too long is a big mistake. We see this a lot, and I, yeah. I get it. You know, people new to street photography feeling a little bit nervous maybe. You know, they'll stick a 75 mil on the front of the camera and stand a long way back. And, yeah, that's fine. You can use that as a way to get closer over time. So, you know, you do a couple of weeks at 75, then go to 50, then 35, and you gradually get closer. But the people who stick stay with the long lenses – yeah, unless they're trying to be salt lighter, which is a you know, completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And but for the sort of observational street photography, it's just too long and the pictures don't look real. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't look authentic to me. I can tell with a picture that's been shot on a lens that's too, yeah. too long. Yep. Uh, I think not, not trusting yourself to have confidence is a mistake. I think, yeah, I I completely understand that a lot of people, especially new to street photography, find it really difficult and they think it's, you know, getting in people's faces and it's intrusive and it's really hard and what's going to happen? Will they get angry? But there comes a point when you've just got to get over that 
And th this is one of the things that I teach on workshops, the techniques for getting over this fear and moving from a place of sometimes abject terror to a place of confidence when you know, you're happy in your own skin as a street photographer. You know what you're doing. You're comfortable. But not, not putting the work in to get over that, I think, is a, is a mistake. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we've talked we talk about that a lot um with different photographers and it like you say if you can just feel comfortable that's a huge that's probably 99% of the battle right there because people oh, yeah. notice how you feel and it reflects onto them if you're scared and shaking and put a camera near them yeah. it's scary. <laughs> yeah, that's but it. If you I mean, feel yeah, confident yeah. and you're comfortable and you look at them and they feel that that you're comfortable. Yeah. They may not even interact with you. If you've got, yeah, if you've got negative body language and, you know, you're very kind of closed and negative and uh, it just looks wrong and a bit creepy. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. but if, if you, you feel like somebody's going to hit you, they might feel like they have a reason to hit you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some, you know, I, I was out shooting in, uh, in London in Soho on Saturday and I was watching a guy who just looked really creepy the way he was trying to hide what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. he was just with her. And I just felt like grabbing him and say, look, mate, just be a bit more open and relaxed and smile at people and just be happy and friendly and nice. And You're scaring the subjects. <laughs> Get a grip. Yeah. You know, these, some, some people with that kind of approach, they look as though they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. So we've got to, we've got to get beyond that somehow. I um, was reading an article by somebody and they were studying or at a workshop or something with Bruce Gilden. And he mm. looked at their work and said, I could tell you're really timid. You know, you're too far away, whatever. And the person said, well, but this, that, and another thing. And he goes, who cares? Get over it or get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, he said, and I, I remember that. He was saying, like, you know, the photos look evasive. And some yeah, people something like that. a yeah. bunch of pictures of people's backs and yeah. say, oh, it's artsy. Yeah. It's evasive. It looks like. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you have that approach, but, you know. Uh, no, I mean, no, that, that's not my teaching style. No, of course not. But what, what, yeah. what he says is right, of course. Yeah, he is right. Uh, yeah. I, um how how do you help people get over that i mean you can't follow them around every day once they leave the workshop no uh no i well i I try yeah, it's a bit a big part of the workshop is building confidence and trying to to get them over this this barrier which for some people is a big deal for some people it's quite easy to get them over it but you know there are probably uh four or five things that i will teach them to do on the workshop and just get them to practice it. Simple things like not making eye contact with people hmm. on the streets, unless you need the eye contact to make the picture work, which that's yeah, fine. Sometimes we do, but most of the time we don't. And just that simple thing of avoiding eye contact will just make the whole thing so much easier and more comfortable. So lots of lots of little things like that. So that hopefully by the end of the day or by the end of the weekend, they're just feeling a bit braver and more confident. And then I encourage them to just get out there and practice and keep doing it, keep doing it. And, you know, you've, as, as you know, you've, you've got to put in the hard miles in street photography. Uh, How do you find, I was going to ask you this question, actually. How do you find time 
personally to practice. You have a lot of things going on. You have commercial work, workshops. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess you get to practice on your workshops, but yeah. with such a busy life and a family on top of that, how, how do you make time for it? It's really hard. And I, I, I don't shoot very much on workshops, to be honest. I, I only really take pictures to demonstrate something. Uh, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking a load of my own stuff while I was running a workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, so I try to, I have an hour before the workshop for me time or two hours. Mm -hmm. and I might have an hour or two after the workshop for me time. Mm -hmm. And I just try and take days off every now and then, or you know, I'm going to Venice uh, next month to do a four day workshop. So I'll probably have two days before it and two, two days after it just for me. But yeah, you're right. It's actually, it's, it's really hard finding the time. Uh, and, that sounds like a good tip though. Schedule it, <laughs> schedule the time. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that, you know, my wife is one of these really well-organized people and I'm the opposite. And she gets me to schedule time in the diary mm -hmm. to do stuff that I need to do like that. So it, it might be a day off to go to the seaside to do street photography. I will put that in the calendar. And then it's mine. It's my time. It's protected. It's ring fenced. I just go, great. And I don't feel as though I'm kind of sneaking a day off when I should be doing something yeah. that's earning money, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Certainly. When it's blocked out, then it's easy for you to say no. Sorry. Yeah. I've yeah. got that scheduled. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I, you know, I try to do this during, during the, the pandemic, during lockdown. And mm. when we were allowed, I mean, I've, I carry a, a press card, so in theory, I can I can go out and shoot, even in lockdown, I could go out and shoot and uh, not be hassled by the police. But trying to find stuff to do during lockdown, I had lots of ideas. But oh, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I I there was just so much to do at home, mm. and we we identified something called the Will You Just syndrome. So I'd be sitting there reading a great book about street photography, and Joanna, my wife, would say. Will you just will you just mow the lawn? Will you just take the dog for a walk? Will you just go to the shop and buy some wine? And yeah, because I'm there and the time isn't allocated to anything, it's kind uh, of fair game that I I'll do anything. Which is yeah, it is fair game. It's it's fine. But uh, I think allocating the time is a really good discipline. Yeah, it's true. It's like working from home. It's really easy to get distracted and not do your work. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and now, for me, the, the Australian Open's on the tennis at the moment. Yeah, and I'll put that on. I'm, you know, I'm trying to write an article, and the tennis is on in the background. I think, oh my goodness, I, I can't do both. It's terrible. I'm so distractible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just turn out the lights and and just get it done. Um, that reminds me of something else. When when you go out on the street. How long does it take you to warm up and to get into the zone? I mean, do you just uh, get out there and you're just, just cold or, there, you know, it's like, like tennis, you probably have a warm up routine. Yeah, yeah right? it is. Uh, I'm sure you yeah. stretch and, and, you know, do you yeah. have a warm up routine for photography as well? Not specifically, but I, it takes me half an hour at least to warm yeah. up, sometimes more. And I always say this to students, I say, look, you know, we, we're, we're, we're out on the streets now don't have any great expectations to take any pictures for the first half hour you, you're warming up your senses mm -hmm. you're warming up your confidence 
and you know it'll hit you once it's happened once you're warm it'll hit you and you've taken a picture you're happy with it and now you're away but it, yeah it does take time to uh to warm up bob uh but I, yeah, I think it's time well spent i think i just love observing you know walking around and not taking pictures for me is almost as good as walking around and taking pictures mm-hmm. <laughs> watching people and sitting having a cup of coffee it's all great and if I get home at the end of the day and I've got no great pictures, no great keepers, do you know, I've, I've just still had a great day. I've walked 30,000 steps. I've had some great <laughs> conversations. I've had six cup of coffees, two beers, no pictures, but I've had a great day. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing no. at all. So in your workshops, what, like what, can somebody experience by attending one of your workshops? What do you, I mean, what do you do? And how do you get them from point A to point B? Okay. I mean, they're just the syllabus. I mean, how does it okay. work? I think the, the, the first thing is to, to get them to understand different approaches to street photography and actually what street photography is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't attempt to try and define it on a workshop because people would probably walk out or you know, violently disagree with me or something. Uh, you know, almost as bad as trying to define street photography on a Facebook forum. You just don't do it. No, not even try. But I, what I try to do is to get them to understand three different approaches to street photography and get them to understand that one of those approaches or more will work for them. So that if, the, if, if somebody who you meet, who you just know is really, really shy and they'll never be able to get close to people or engage with people in any way, then I would steer them towards the more aesthetic kind of street photography. Yeah, a bit more like Saul Lighter, where you're standing back, you're Mm -hmm. taking a lot of steps back, slightly longer lens maybe. Mm -hmm. It's more about the aesthetic, the art, the colour, composition, light. Uh, So I get people to appreciate and have some understanding of different kinds of street photography, different approaches to street photography in the hope that they will now start to be thinking, yeah, that works for me. I can do that. That suits me. I'm the funny guy. I've got a good sense of humor. Yeah. For me, it's all about the moment making connections. So that's a, that's a a big thing, big part of the syllabus. Uh, The technical stuff kind of takes care of itself really. You know, I talk about that for 10 minutes in the morning and then pretty much forget about it unless anybody's got any questions or problems. You know, I don't want them to be thinking about looking at their menus and looking at film simulations and white balance and stuff. I want them yeah. to be spending all their, all their time, all their attention on what's, what's going on around them. Uh, I do quite a lot of work on, on confidence building, getting them to... Uh, just feel comfortable and easy and, you know, have self-belief that they have a, every right to do this and they're not doing anything bad and getting them just to feel comfortable in their own skin as, as a street photographer. And then the art of observation. You know, I, th- I don't think there's ever been a workshop where we've walked around and I haven't spotted something that's been interesting or funny or quirky, peculiar, crazy, and it's something they probably would never have seen. So I think just opening up people's eyes to the possibility of detail, all this detail around us. Yeah, every, cities are so busy. 
so cluttered with detail. And I think it's too easy to just ignore that and, and miss the good stuff. So just getting help people to observe and to appreciate the importance of detail and look, look mm -hmm. twice at it, think about everything you see. Mm. Uh, so that's the, that's the sort of course it follows generally. Uh, we might do, depending on the area and maybe depending on the group, we, we might spend 20 minutes or so on street portraits, mm. which is, I know, something that polarizes uh, opinion in street photography. Some people say <laughs> it's street photography, some people say it isn't. I think it is. I think it's out there in the margins. It's really enjoyable to do. The results can be great. So on, on, on many workshops, we will spend a bit of time street portraits, and I'll try and get them to... Uh, to, to break their duck, as we would say in cricket, and, and go out and do their first street portrait. And when they've done that, they, they've now got it. They've got the medal. They feel happy. They feel confident. They'll go out and do it and enjoy it forevermore, probably. It's just that first time that is really difficult. Mm -hmm. so that's all, It's a fun thing to do because I'll usually demonstrate it and show how easy it is and, you know, I'm not going to get hit or anything uh, and end up with a great picture. So we spend a bit of time talking about how to do that, really. So do you do you do any workshops in the U.S. or are you mainly in Europe? Mainly in Europe. Uh, yeah. I do want to go to the U.S. I don't know if I'll manage it this year. Uh, I definitely want to come to New York to do a workshop. I quite like the idea of Chicago, and I quite mm -hmm. like the idea of San Francisco, uh, but I don't rule out anything. And if enough people came to me and said, you need to do a workshop in New York, then I'd be there tomorrow. Yeah, I, I will do it. I do a lot of workshops for people in the States who come to the UK. Yeah, I know. Or, or meet me in Lisbon or meet me in Venice or meet mm -hmm. me in Prague or wherever it is. Uh, so I do a lot of one-to-one -one workshops for people from the States, which is great. Uh, so my, my workshops are a mixture of, of group and one-to-one, and -one, really. Uh, and documentary workshops. I mean, we haven't really touched on that, but yeah, I do documentary workshops, and they are becoming more popular now than than ever. But people want oh. to do documentary, and there aren't many workshops available for people to learn to be no. a documentary photographer. Is that something you do over a longer period of time? Yeah, it tends to be project based. Mm -hmm. so, That's what I thought. One of the workshops I do is uh, it's like a 12 month program and it's based on the idea of the English seaside, which, you know, has just been a great source of material for street photographers for the last 75 years. So we, we start off with a, a three or four day workshop uh, at a seaside location. Uh, and we, we really drill down into the detail into how to, how to, how to conceive a documentary project, how to, how to get the idea, how to work it up into a, a good concept, how to write a synopsis for it, how to do your research, who, yeah, how to open doors, and then go out and start taking some test shots and just testing the idea and talking to people. So we do this over three or four days. And then over a period of the next 12 months, we all keep in touch and we have Zoom calls and... Mm -hmm. I'm always there for people to bounce ideas off to, uh, you know, so people will regularly contact me, say, you know, my project's got to this stage. I'm a bit stuck. 
how do I move it on? So I then work with them to help them move it on. Oh, and the that's... idea at the end of the 12 months is that everybody produces their book. Wow, that sounds very, very interesting. Where, yeah. So where do you do this on the English seaside? Like, uh, uh, Well, at the moment, yeah. I, I, the English seaside one is in Blackpool in the northwest. Oh, oh okay. Uh, do you know Blackpool? Have you come across Blackpool? Uh, I, I know where it is. I've never been there. I've never really been north of Cambridge. You probably wouldn't recognize it as being yeah. part of our universe. <laughs> it is it is a crazy place where every stag and hen party in the country goes oh. to on a Saturday in the summer. Yeah. Carnage. It it's just the most amazing place to do street photography. And it's a, a sort of baptiz baptism of fire for people who want to photograph the English seaside because you've got it all there. So we use that as the basis just to start the workshop to get them in the in the right mood and upskill them in all the right ways. And then they go off and do it. They could go back to Blackpool. They could go and do it in Brighton, somewhere close to where they live. They go and do it overseas. Uh, well, that wouldn't be the English seaside. Yeah. I do that one. And then the, the, there's a new program uh, of these documentary workshops starting in London uh, this September, which is called Mind the Gap. This is a <laughs> working title for the, for the project. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. And it's all about uh, the, the gaps in society, sort of social injustice. And, uh, you know, this is more social documentary, a bit more hard-hitting, a bit more uh, edgy. But uh, within this kind of overall theme of Mind the Gap, I'll be expecting people to develop their own concept and really focus, really drill down into uh, a well-defined documentary concept. And then I'll help them broaden it and take it forward and, produce a body of work, which is what I guess what it's all about, really. Yeah, it sounds like a place where people could take it, the project really anywhere. Yeah, well, yeah, they could. And this is this is the whole point. You know, you come along on one of these and you learn the mechanics. You learn how to run a documentary project. Yeah. And, you know, I think at the end of it, people people have grown in stature by six, six inches. And, the, you know, they're thinking with their chest puffed out, they're thinking, I'm a documentary photographer. I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> Yeah. And they feel really good about it. And th this is so satisfying. It's great. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you try it on your own, you're just, you're guessing. Yeah, you are. And there's no, there's no great instruction out there, really. There are no good books on how to be a documentary photographer. Very few workshops. Uh, but I think so many people want to do it. You know, they, they open mm -hmm. the magazines and the newspapers and they see these great projects and they think, oh, I'd love to do something like that. Where do I start? People don't know. Mm -hmm. Are these workshops just kind of from zero to hero as a documentary <laughs> photographer? It doesn't work for everybody. You know, some people will never complete their book and fall by the wayside. But I think most do, and they, they, they get quite a lot, lot out of it, I think. Boy, you're tempting me. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I'm ready to sign up too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Um... Well, before we wrap up here, I've got one more question for you, and that's like, what, what should I have we asked you that we haven't? Is there a question you wish we would have asked? Oh, that's a curveball question. Yes, it uh, is. It's a softball question. <laughs> Let me think. What shouldn't you have asked me? Uh, you could have asked me which street photographers I, I admire. 
um, who who I respect in this world. And I guess my answer to that would be uh, quite a lot of dead people. Uh, so like Gary Winogrand, uh, Helen Levitt, William Klein, Saul Leiter. Uh, I love all those people's work. Joel Marowitz, of course, is still with us. Uh, Bruce Gilden, I have huge respect for. I know a lot of people don't, but I respect. I, I, I don't want to do what he does, but I like his work. I respect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Stewart, I think, is a really talented street photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much material he's now producing, but I think Matt is Matt is good. Uh, I, I like Nick Turpin, actually, UK street photographer. Mm-hmm. He's prepared to push the boundaries a bit and think differently about street photography, but within parameters. So Nick is good. Uh, Harry, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Is it Croyart? It looks like Groyart. Uh, yeah, I don't my know favorite, how to pronounce it. I think I think it's Croyart mm. uh, with a kind of really hard H, but I, I could be wrong. I, I love his work, his use of color and juxtaposition. I just think is really clever. Uh, but I love discovering new street photographers. They're I find a new one almost every day and just lo- love looking at other people's work. There are just so many really good people out there. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. And the, the, yeah, the talent out there, um, it's, it's beyond belief. And people you've never heard of, you suddenly find, you find something yeah. on Instagram and you think, wow, what talent? Why have they only got 600 followers? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. The, other question, the other question you didn't ask me, Bob, Oh, is uh, have I written any books about street photography? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Tell us about them. Okay. <laughs> well, my 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 favourite book is uh, Street Photography Workshop, which is a workshop in a book mm. published by Ammonite Press, and it is a workshop in a book, hundred and seventy six pages of. Uh, how to do it, basically. This was published late last year, so it's still fairly new. Uh, I've also got a little thing called the Street Photography Pocket Guide, which uh, is uh, a little pocket guide you stick in your pocket or your bag, and this was uh, uh, published by Rocky Nook uh, in January. So, well, yeah, this month. So this is very hot off the press. and I've written a couple of books about assignments in street photography. Uh, there's one book, 52 Assignments Street Photography, and there's one book, 52 Assignments Black and White Photography. Yeah. And these are all on, on my website. Uh, so if anybody wants to have a look and buy one, and of course you can buy them in uh, places like Amazon and you know all these, all these online places and bookshops, but you don't get signed copies. You only get signed copies from me. Yeah, of course, then you pay for the shipping. No, I, as a matter of fact, I'm, yeah. I'm going to buy the black and white one. <laughs> the, the shipping I, is the problem, Bob. It's, how much yeah. is shipping to the U.S.? <laughs> I think it is probably, it depends which part of the U.S., and I don't understand because shipping to the West Coast seems to be cheaper than shipping to the East Coast, and I don't quite understand it, it because it's twice as it far. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But yeah, probably something like $12, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I I prefer using tracked shipping, to be honest, because so many books have gone missing if it's not tracked and signed for that I just yeah. don't trust it. So it's worth paying a few dollars extra for, for tracked. 
But streetsnappers.com, it's all, all the, the books are for sale on there. I, uh, yeah, I bought uh, uh, Robert Blomfield's book. It was published by his, his uh, children because he had passed away. And uh, they, we had featured him in the magazine a couple of years ago. And uh, if you've ever seen his work, it's great. He was in uh, Edinburgh. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, sorry, what was the name again? Robert Blomfield. Oh, yeah, I, I do know the name. Yeah, yeah. And the name is, I think it's just Edinburgh. But anyway, I bought that book right when it came out. I had it in like three days. And it was less expensive than buying some books here and having them shipped U.S. mail. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a book addiction. And I, you know, I, I have a serious problem with books, and mm-hmm. I can't stop buying them. And when, when, when the doorbell rings in the morning, you, between twelve and eleven a.m., <laughs> my my wife's eyes are rolling. She knows it's a book. here comes and, uh, here comes the Amazon the truck, right? Yeah, the Everyone talks about the gear addiction syndrome, but nobody talks about the book addiction syndrome that oh, also yeah, comes exactly. to many photographers. Uh, the book addiction is better for you. <laughs> I got one, one came through the letterbox yesterday, which was Chris Killip. Do you know him? No. Amazing, amazing documentary photographer. And he's got a big uh, exhibition on at the moment in the Photographer's Gallery in London of his life's work. And the, the gallery has just published the book of his life's work. And it's a big, heavy book. Costs £50. But it's just fantastic. I, I just think I'll be reading it, looking at it forevermore. Uh, I just can't stop myself when it comes to books, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're writing them too. Well, yeah. To help pay for the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, well, thanks. Uh, I, I could sit here and talk with you all day, but I know, I know you've got things to do. And, uh, but before we go, tell us where people can find you. Okay. Well, thank you. My, my, Business name is Street Snappers, all one word. The website is streetsnappers.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Vero as Street Snappers. Uh, and on YouTube as Street Snappers. So if you just put Street Snappers in, into the YouTube ch- ch- uh, search box, you'll find me. I've got to say, I've, I've neglected my uh, YouTube channel a, a little bit over the last few months because I've been so busy. It's a lot of work. <laughs> a whole lot of work just work gets in the way of stuff doesn't it uh, but i've got a i've got a long list of topics for videos and i've just uh started to produce the the next one which is all about william klein and what we can learn from him the lessons mm. we can learn from william klein so the youtube channel will will really pick up momentum again this year and uh, i know i've neglected it and people will say oh where's he gone what's happened to him i'm still here it's coming back so please, folks, subscribe. Yeah, looking Definitely. forward to it. And even though you haven't updated in a while, what you have there is very good. That's too kind. Um, Thank you. And particularly the video on street composition. I really enjoyed that. Oh, good. It's Thank you. Very yeah. valuable. Great. Okay. Good. Well, well, it's been great talking to you. And, same uh, here. I appreciate mm-hmm. the, uh, the approach and uh, it's, it's been very enjoyable. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So 
please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Music